boy, I do appreciate what Jeff had to share this morning as he introduced that song and uh, really touched on uh, something of the human heart there, didn't he? Where in the middle of those difficult things, we sometimes wonder if God cares or if He sees us. He said, I don't know about you, but I've had my doubts and uh, I, I can identify with that. I've had my moments and my doubts, and I don't know if Jeff knew who I was preaching about today, but we're going to be taking a look at the Apostle Thomas. Now, if you, if you haven't been a part of our other two messages, two messages so far of the series, we're talking about Easter people, some of the individuals involved in the story of the resurrection of Christ, which we're getting ready to celebrate in just a few weeks from now. And we're we're preparing our minds and hearts, thinking about this whole story and what it means for you and I today. And we'll get into that, but right now we're just looking at these characters and seeing how we can identify and connect with their stories and, and what, it, what it can mean for us, how it can encourage us today. So today we're going to talk about the Apostle Thomas. And as we get started this morning, would you join me in prayer? Lord God, we thank you for your word today, for your scripture is so rich, is so deep, it's satisfying. It tells us these things that are sometimes hard to believe, that things like you love us, things like you are good and you care, things like we're family or that we have a house, a room in your house someday. Those are hard things and wonderful things. And God, we pray today that your word would be sowing seeds of faith into our heart. Lord, that each one of us would be receiving from your word the good things that you have in it. Lord, I pray for every heart in this room that you're trying to touch and transform. Really, that's all of us. But for those especially, Lord, who you're really wanting to get a hold of today, God, I pray for open hearts and open minds to receive from your word. In Jesus' name, amen. So I have to ask, have you heard of Doubting Thomas? I mean, come on. You're going to end up in the Bible, like everyone throughout history knows your name, and they know you as Doubting Thomas? That guy's got to be feel a little ripped off, that that's his label. And maybe today I'll show you a little more depth about that, and we'll put ourselves in Thomas's shoes, and we'll consider his situation and the story surrounding him. I want to set the stage for you out of Luke chapter 24. We don't learn about Luke, or I'm sorry, we don't learn about Thomas in the book of Luke. We learn about him in the book of John. But I want to kind of just paint the picture for you so that you understand what's going on in these guys' lives in this moment. And what's just happened is Jesus has just been crucified, and this is Sunday, it seems, it appears from Luke's gospel that this is Sunday evening. This is the night after Jesus resurrected from the dead. In fact, we've just had two disciples walking the road to Emmaus. Maybe you've heard that story, the road to Emmaus. Two disciples, and Jesus appears to them, and they run back to Jerusalem, and they're sharing the story with the rest of the believers. So this has been a big, big day for these guys. Some people are like, we saw the resurrected Christ, and other people are like, wait, what? No, how could that, what? And then the, these two people are walking to Emmaus, and Jesus appears to them, and they run back to Jerusalem, they're like, it's true, this stuff's happening, it's amazing. As they were talking about these things, Jesus himself 
stood among them and said, Peace to you. But they were startled and frightened and thought they saw a spirit. We've got to engage our imaginations a little bit and consider what it's like to have somebody that you thought was dead. Now, this is kind of, if you go there in your own life, this can be a dangerous place to go, kind of sad maybe or challenging if you think of someone you know that has passed away and suddenly they've appeared before you. Would you freak out? What would you feel? What would you think? Would you have a hard time believing your own eyes? Jesus, suddenly, they saw him dead on a cross, taken down, laid in a tomb. They saw his body beaten and destroyed. They saw the spear into his side. And yet here he stands alive right in front of me right now. What an amazing thought. They were startled and frightened, and they thought they saw a spirit. That would probably be the first thing that goes through my mind. Is this real? Is this Jesus, really? And he said to them, why are you troubled, and why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones, as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they still disbelieved for joy and were marveling, wouldn't you be marveling in that moment? Just going, what? Jesus, you were dead. I, this is you. I feel you. I, I can. Do you have anything to eat? I'm going to show you guys. I don't know what, we don't know what the tone of the conversations are in the Bible. You know, I mean, was Jesus like, do you have something to eat? What do I got to do to prove it to you? Or is he almost laughing? He's like, it's me. Go ahead. Check it out. Give me something to eat. I don't know. But I think it's fun to think about because it gets us in touch with the reality of the story. It's not just some mythological parable. This is reality. And when we can put ourselves in that reality, it really can begin to do a work in us, increase our faith, help us in our understanding. And they gave him a piece of broiled fish, interesting detail, and he took it and he ate it before them. So here's the situation. It's Sunday evening. Jesus is resurrected. He's appeared to the disciples. They're having a hard time comprehending. There's doubts in their hearts. See, Thomas isn't the only one who doubted. All throughout the Gospels, we see the disciples having moments of doubt, moments of wonder, moments of bewilderment, moments where they can't even hardly believe their own eyes and what they're seeing. I think that you and I, if we're honest with ourselves, can put ourselves in that situation. Well, let's switch over to the Gospel of John, and let's talk about Thomas. Now, Thomas, one of the twelve... One of the 12. Who were the 12? Jesus called 12 individual men to be his disciples specifically. There were lots of people that were his disciples, but there were 12 in particular. We call them the apostles. And they were the ones who he invested in in a major way. They traveled with him everywhere that he went. Thomas was one of them. Thomas, one of the 12, called the twin. Seems like maybe Thomas was one, one half of a set of twins. Was not with them when Jesus came. 
So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the marks of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. Have you ever had your doubts? We all doubt. But what does it mean to doubt? You know, this idea of doubt, I, you know, I think dang near every message I preach is somewhere I go back to some of the original Greek and things like that. And I'm going to tell you why. It's not just because I'm a nerd, because I am. But we're talking about when we're reading the Bible and, it, and, and I'm starting to examine my own heart and I'm going, do I doubt? What did doubt look like? When Jesus is speaking to these guys in real time, he's talking in Aramaic. And the record is written in Greek and we're translating it into English 2,000 years later. I just want to be sure. I, I don't think there's like major issues here with theology or anything like that. But sometimes there's just a depth and a richness when I begin to understand why a word is the way the word is. Why do we use that word? Why did they pick the English word for doubt to apply to this Greek word for doubt? What does that mean? What, you know, how can I maybe reflect more deeply on myself and my own life when I examine this word doubt? I know we all have it. Sometimes I'm ashamed of it. Sometimes we're made to believe that if we have moments in doubt, of doubt, something's wrong with us. Well, we're not really Christians because we have questions and doubts at times. And yet we see example after example after example of people in the Scripture that doubted. Now, it's not the ideal place to be, but we also see that God is working with us to help us grow beyond our doubts. And so we want to learn that about that from Thomas's story. So this word that translates into doubt in the Greek, it's, it's two standings. It's, it's going two different ways. It's shifting between positions. So it's two stances. And so when you're thinking about something, you're like, is this really Jesus resurrected or is this something else? I'm, I'm going both ways. I can't understand. I can't make up my mind. I'm going two different directions at once. You ever feel like you're going two different directions at once? That's where we get this idea of doubt. So when I hear some information... Like if I watch the news, <laughs> I don't necessarily believe it. Part of me is just believing it because this information is coming to me, and part of me knows better. And so I'm going two different directions. I don't have a lot of faith, which we'll talk about more about, in what I'm hearing. So I have to go investigate it more, and I have to learn different things. Trust has to be built, those kind of things. Otherwise, I'm just going two different directions. I have two different stances on something. I'm in the middle. Between two things, I'm in doubt. Either it is or it isn't. Either it's right or it's wrong. And so when I'm stuck in that middle and I, I have no reason to make up my mind or I can't or I'm struggling with something about it, I am caught in doubt. It's to vacillate, waver. Refusing to choose one way over the other. Here, this is one of the ways I drive my staff and elders crazy. I do not make decisions really quickly. Not most of the time. And sometimes as a leader, it's like, man, I got I to gotta think about this and I got to decide. Are we going to do this or are we going to do this? Are we going to go this way or are we going to go that way? And I will stand here for a very long time analyzing the situation 
trying to get a feel what the best decision is going to be because I'm in doubt, not in faith yet, not confident about what I'm about to do. So how do I get to that place where I can step into one or the other and leave that middle ground behind and leave my doubt behind? It's having two opinions, wanting to have our cake and eat it too. Can't have both. Sooner or later, I have to leave the doubt behind and go somewhere. How do I do that? James chapter 1, verse 6. Boy, James knows how to just deliver some zingers, doesn't he? That guy stings sometimes. But let him ask in faith with no doubting, for the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea that is driven and tossed by the wind. When we're stuck in the middle, in between, unable to make up of our mind, we're constantly influenced back and forth on, on an issue. Whatever that issue is, it could be choosing where to have lunch today, which really actually is one of the most painful decisions for me to have to make, or really, really big issues about how we're going to raise our family, where are we going to retire, am I going to take that job, did Jesus rise from the dead, does Jesus love me, does God actually care, is there really a heaven, is there really a hell? All these things, we end up in the middle and we get tossed to and fro when we're operating in doubt. One who doubts is like a wave of the sea. And yet I look at this and I'm a little convicted because I'm like, I doubt things all the time. I question them. I'm a questioner. I wonder. Sometimes I'm a skeptic. Or worse yet, sometimes even a cynic. But that's not where God wants me to stay. He wants me to grow. He doesn't want me tossed to and fro. In fact, this language reminds me of Ephesians chapter 4 when it talks about spiritual maturity, that we would no longer be children tossed to and fro by every wind and wave of doctrine that comes our way. God wants us to become mature, so we have to begin to wrestle with our doubts. I just want to say, how do I, uh, do I want to, I don't know, should I say it? I already started, didn't I? Maybe this is wrong. Maybe this is wrong. But I want, I, want to, I want to have an empathy here. It's okay to doubt. Is that okay to say? We have these moments. It's, not, it, it's normal. It's part of our process because we're in a process of growing in our faith. And the way our faith grows is when we navigate a season of doubt. So we're navigating that season of doubt so that God can build our faith. And we'll get more into that. I want to talk more about that. That's really, I'm really passionate about it, but I want to continue with where I'm at. Two verses later, he says this, he is a double-minded man, unstable in all of his ways. I've, I've remembered this verse since I was a kid. I don't know why it stuck with me, but maybe this is an issue for me. A double-minded man is unstable in all of his ways a guy who can't make up his mind. But this means, it needs a little bit more. And this is where I think we maybe get a little lost in the English here. The way we use doubt in our context and the way I just described it to you. There's a little bit more of a depth here. This word is almost the same as doubt. Double-minded and doubt are very similar in the Greek. So we talked about doubt being two stances. Double-minded is exactly what it says. Two minds. In fact, this word in the Greek, they couldn't find in any other manuscripts. They think it was actually coined in the Bible, that they, they took, they just made up a word 
to describe being double-minded, having two minds. Isn't it interesting? Just like Paul says in Romans, he's like, I want to do the right thing, but then I do the wrong thing. And I don't want to do the wrong thing, but I do it anyway. But I, eh, eh, back and forth, there's a tug of war in every single one of us. There's a, there's a certain amount of double-mindedness because, man, I want to do the wrong thing. Man, I want to hang my hand out the window and give that guy the bird for cutting me off. Oh, no, I want to pray for him, for his soul, because God loves him. What a torn man I am. I'm double-minded. My flesh is screaming at me, and the Holy Spirit's going, be nice. That's double-mindedness. It's unstable. It's unsustainable. It's actually, it's, it's too, it's funny when you read it in the Greek, it says, die psychos. Two psychos. Two minds. You're kind of psycho if you're in this situation, right? Split in half. Spiritually schizophrenic. And that's, that's literally in the helps word dictionary for this Greek. Spiritually schizophrenic. And can't we all identify with that? Oh, man, we have good days and bad days. We vacillate. We get stuck in the middle. Wondering about these things that the Bible says is true. That Jesus resurrected from the dead. That he ascended into heaven. That his death on the cross was a blood sacrifice for my sin. That I should have been on that cross. And instead, he did it for me. And his resurrection is more than just an amazing miracle that happened. It also means that because I am forgiven, I will resurrect someday. I, I might stand there someday and go, give me a piece of fish. I'm the real thing. Resurrected me. Isn't it? Let's just go back to that story. What did Jesus say? Spirit doesn't have flesh and bones. Guys, you get new flesh and bones someday. Did you know that? Come on, did you know that? This, one, this one's broken, it dies. Sooner or later, this goes away. It's not perfect. But what Jesus bought you on the cross is a new flesh and bone someday. I mean, when I was a kid, I worried about going to heaven that I would be bored. You ever think like that? I totally think like that. I'm going to sit there on a cloud with a harp. That sounds boring. And they're like, we're just going to worship Jesus forever. It's like, I can't get through a half hour of worship on earth. How am I going to do that forever? I hope they have ice cream and water slides. That was when I was a kid. Now I just want a cabin on a lake in heaven somewhere. But, it's, but I'm not, I'm not going to be a spirit forever. I'm not going to be a disembodied soul forever. I'll go to be with the Lord, but then it says in the book of Revelation that he makes all things new. Blessed is he who participates in the first resurrection. When What is it? When I get a new body someday. So Jesus had flesh and blood. It's fun to think about. But then the doubt creeps in. Wow, did he just say that? Is that real? Is that true? Does the Bible say that? Even if it says that, can I wrap my head around it? I'm not sure I can believe it. I'm in the middle. I'm waffling. I'm wavering. Do I actually believe that? Or am I in a place of doubt? Jesus wants to deal with our doubt. You know, doubt puts us in a place of not being authentic. Authenticity is one of our values. I'll be t talking about that in vision of values today. First value on the list of values I talk about is authenticity. We value being authentic. I mean, I, 
okay, I'm up on a stage talking to lots of people so you don't know everything about me or you don't know me personally that well maybe. But I hope that when you meet me or I meet you, I meet the real you. I get to know who the real you is. I hope you don't put on a cheesy Christian mask before you walk through the doors into this place. Let's keep it real. I have problems. I make mistakes. My wife even gets mad at me sometimes. And sometimes I return the favor. We're real people with real lives. But when we're in doubt, we're in a place of vacillating. We have a hard time being our authentic selves because we can't even make up our mind. Do you understand what I'm saying? That waffling, that back and forth. We start to lose our authenticity when we're camping out in that place. I want to talk about, I think, what the antithesis, I guess, of doubt is, and that's faith. I want to talk about faith. Faith is a a deep subject. There's no way we could cover it all today, but I want to talk about it in light of thinking about Thomas and his doubt. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. There's an assuredness here when you have faith. When you have faith, you've come to a place of being sure. There's a conviction and an assurance that come with faith. You know, Faith is not a mental decision. That's part of it. I mean, I might, you might be able to prove to me factually that Jesus rose from the dead. That doesn't get me saved. That doesn't forgive my sin. Faith is a, a conviction. It's a deeper thing that's at work inside of us, and it counteracts doubt. It starts to bring an assuredness to the decision, an assuredness to the opinion, and assuredness to the point of view. Now, sometimes, you know, have you ever gotten an argument with somebody and they're like, well, that's just what I think? I hate that argument. There's no, you just made up your mind with nothing to help us understand why you're so sure of this particular thing. Faith is an interesting subject. So, faith comes from hearing and hearing through the Word of Christ. So, this is what I want to focus in on here for a minute. Faith is not an emotion you conjure up. It's not a mental gymnastic that you do. Okay? I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe, I believe. You know, it's, it's more holistic than that. And it comes with the Word of God. You know, we start to understand what faith actually is from stories in the Bible. You know, who's the father of faith? louder. I can't hear you. I'm hoping to get hearing aids here very soon. Abraham, you can be loud in this church. Somebody shout, come on. Thank you. Jeff, I know I can always count on you to be loud. Abraham's the father of faith. Why? God told Abraham something and Abraham believed him. You're going to have a child. Uh, what? I'm an old man. My wife's old. But he believed him. God said something, and Abraham chose to believe it. And that's the very beginning of our understanding of where faith comes from. 
I, I think there's a, a lot of twisting of what faith is out in our society and culture in the church world. I think we've seen a lot of things that are unhealthy and unbiblical in relation to the word faith. So I think we need to go back to what the Scripture teaches us about it and how to navigate it. And it begins with the Word of God. Faith is not something you make up. It's not something you stir up. It's not something you invent. It's something you get from the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word. Abraham, listen, Noah, look, put yourself in Noah's shoes. Like Noah's ark Noah, the guy that built the giant boat. I mean, I'm telling you what, if I felt like God spoke to me today and said, hey, JR, build a big boat, I'm going to flood the world. Guess where I'm going to find myself? Doubt. Oh, man, that was just the cheese pizza I ate, I think, probably. The guy believed God. He built a giant boat. Everybody made fun of him. And he was the one laughing in the end. I doubt he was laughing. That's incredibly tragic, actually. He believed what God said. He got to a point of hearing God and believing it so much that he took action based on God's word. That's what James says, faith without deeds is dead. You, you can't, I, I, I would go so far as to say, you can't even talk about faith if there's no action associated with it. Because faith is, is, a, is a deep conviction and assuredness. And when I've become deeply convicted about something, I, am, I can't help but take action on it. I might suppress it for a while, but faith is more than mental belief. It's more than accepting a fact. It's getting, gaining a deep conviction of truth based on the Word of God. Now, we use that word in other ways, like I used earlier, hey, I don't have faith in the news, or I don't have faith that spring's ever going to come, you know, those kind of things. But it's not really a right understand. It begins, I believe, with the Word of God. So when I'm wrestling with doubt... What do I need to add to my diet to get out of that vacillation and into an assuredness of belief? I need the Word of God. I've got to go to the Word of God. I can't make it up. See, there are, there are factions of Christians that, I mean, we call it prosperity gospel or name it, claim it stuff, where it's like, you know, you go up to the pickup truck you want and you lay hands on it and go, I claim this truck in the name of Jesus. Like, I'm just going to believe so much that God's going to have to give me this truck, as if God can be manipulated. Now, this is tricky. We have to be really careful when we talk about this, because, and I don't have all the answers, but this is, there's a lot of this that goes on in the world. But my problem with something like that is that I don't see God suggesting that I use faith in that way. I don't see any examples of that in Scripture. I don't see faith being used in that way. It doesn't make sense to me. So I have no faith for that. In fact, I think it's wrong. But, you know, people claim it works. I don't know. What is, where does it come from? But here's the thing. When, when the Bible says He works all things for the good of those who love Him and are called according to His purposes, that's hard to believe. We've talked about this in recent weeks. God, You really work all things? Even the death, even sickness, 
even a job loss, even bankruptcy, even my broken marriage, even my whatever fill in the blank, you work all these things together for good? That's hard to believe. That's really hard to believe. But the more time I contemplate and absorb and soak in God's Word, it becomes more and more real. I just think back to when I was 20 years old and God just got a hold of me and I knew nothing. I had all kinds of doubts. I didn't have that depth. But years and years and years of soaking in God's Word just brings such a solidity of faith and assuredness, a steadiness. You know, when we say someone's faithful, they're just steady. They just stay on course. They just do the thing. And when someone's not faithful, they're over here and over here. It's the same concept as doubt. It's a vacillation. It's an unsteadiness. It's a lack of real conviction about something. I want to encourage you this morning. We all doubt. We all have these thoughts. And, and I would just say that, you know, in, I think in the English when we think doubt, it's just really a mental thing. But I think if you really get into doubt, it goes much deeper than that. It removes steadiness. It removes assuredness from our lives. If you find yourself that in that place of doubt about anything, I mean, what are all the, what are all the things we know about God and about ourselves that we could question? Does God love me? Does God really love me? Am I really a child of God like I sang today? Is God really good? Well, the Bible verse says it, but eh. But if I read that verse every day, if I'm soaking in it, if I'm praying about it, if it's being tested over time, my faith grows. It's not self-will. Faith is not self-will. I think this is a major bear trap in the middle of the faith conversation. Faith is not self-will. Faith comes by hearing of the Word. It's a gift of God, the faith that we need, and it's something that comes because we're soaking in God. Let's look at Thomas' story and see this. Eight days later, his disciples were inside again, and Thomas was with them this time. He wasn't there before. Although the doors were locked, Jesus came and stood among them and said, Peace be with you. Might be tempted to think this is the same story in a different gospel, but the timing doesn't work. I think this is a different time. Then he said to Thomas, not everybody else, just to Thomas, who wasn't there, put your finger here, see my hands, put out your hand, place it in my side. Do not disbelieve, but believe. Can I just point something out here about Jesus? He's not angry at Thomas. Did you notice that? Because sometimes I feel like that. Sometimes I feel like if I'm struggling, God must be irritated with me. You ever feel like that? But he's not irritated with Thomas. Doesn't seem like it. He's having mercy on Thomas. He's having mercy on Thomas. Wouldn't you like to experience this yourself? Wouldn't it be pretty cool if Jesus appeared here right now and said, check me out. Feel the holes. Feel the side. It would be an act of mercy for us. It would change your life, I hope. He did this for Thomas. In Jude chapter 1, verse 22, 
We'll come back to Thomas's response. It says this, and have mercy on those who doubt. What? Have mercy on those who doubt. Are we a compassionate people? Do we understand that we're broken and depraved and we make mistakes and at times we have doubt? Have mercy on them when they doubt. Have, and please have mercy on me when I doubt because we all have it. For the one who's weak in faith, welcome him so that you can argue with him about his dumb opinions. Is that what it says? I love this verse. You know, I, breathe it, I put it up here all the time. Welcome him, not to argue with him. We're all at different stages in the journey. Some of us maybe have never even let Jesus be the Lord of our life yet. And yet others of us have been following Christ for 50 years and have maturity and depth. Can we work together? Can we help each other overcome our doubts and our challenges? I think we can. I want to come back to Thomas's response. Thomas answered him, my Lord and my God. This, I don't know if Thomas said that tongue-in-cheek when he said, I, don't, I won't believe it until I stick my hand in his side. I always kind of wonder about that too. Was, like, was there like a hole there? Was he able to like literally put his hand in a hole like a, I don't know. But what is Thomas's response? My Lord and my God. It's like when Jesus, you know, Jesus is the Word. He appeared there. Thomas received something from God and his faith changed. My Lord and my God. You know, Thomas, I don't know if any of the legends about Thomas are true. He's an interesting guy. We only know a couple of other things about him. Um... In John chapter 14, Thomas is recorded as saying, Lord, we do not know where you are going. How can we know the way? So we know Thomas was curious. He asked good questions. He had to be a pretty logical guy because he didn't believe the resurrection until he saw Jesus. Probably a pretty logical kind of thinker, something like that. But he was, he was pretty intense too. Thomas the twin said to the fellow disciples, let us also go that we may die with him. I don't know, don't underestimate how bold that statement is. They expected to die, and Thomas did. Uh, church history, maybe somewhat legend, <laughs> uh, but there's a lot of evidence actually that Thomas went um, east of Israel, and he ended up in India. Some people thought as far as Indonesia and influence in Ethiopia as well. Maybe that he even came across... Um, uh, the sea there, they thought, into the parts of where Saudi Arabia would be now. But I want you to just think about this for a second. If God so got a hold of your heart that you were willing to pick up who you are and go ahead and go traveling through Mexico and down through Honduras and into South America and eventually get speared to death, supposedly he was run through with a spear. That's how he died. What a radical guy. His response was, my Lord and my God. When you encounter the Word of God, let that be your response to Him. He is your Lord. He is your God. And when you soak in that Word, let it grow your faith 
and wash away your doubt. Would you stand this morning? If there's something specific coming to your mind, you're like, boy, I always struggle with doubt. I'm not even sure I believe in Jesus, those kind of things. Uh, I want to encourage you, as I pray right now, just open your heart to the Lord. Let Him work on you. Let Him stir your faith. Let Him speak to you. We believe the Holy Spirit is influencing our spirit, and in a sense, we hear from God. So receive Him this morning as we pray. Lord Jesus, we open our hearts to You, and we say, my Lord and my God. In those brilliant words of Thomas, Lord, we confess, you are the king and I am not. Lord, take your rightful place on the throne of of our lives. And God, I pray for every person who's struggling with doubt in certain ways, whether it be scientific or logical, spiritual, maybe theological things are confusing and stirring doubt. Lord, I pray that your powerful, loving Holy Spirit We'll be digging into those places and revealing the truth of who you are, your true word. Lord, I pray for those that um, study your word and maybe get bored with it, that, Lord, the next time they open up their Bible, they would see how profound and faith-building your word is. Lord, I pray for strength. I pray for courage to believe, to not doubt to find a place of steadiness and assuredness, to not be double-minded, but to be single-minded and faithful. So God, we pray you continue to lead us. We're thankful for Thomas and his life and the example he set for us. In Jesus' name, amen.